Thanks for downloading this episode of Conversations in Law with me, your host, Hobbs Decoe. In this episode, I talk with Giles Thompson, the head of growth at the legal tech company Avoca. Giles began his career as a trainee at Herbert Smith Greyhills and then as an IP associate at Kirkland & Ellis before pursuing a career away from private practice. Thank you for joining me today, Giles. Lovely to be here. Now, before we get into today's topic of networking, I wanted to ask you a bit about your career. I find it a bit unusual, to me at least, to think that you know somebody who had managed to get a highly competitive training contract and then secure a place as an associate at a major firm would give that up without a second thought. So I wonder if you could perhaps elaborate on what triggered your move out of private practice. I guess the first thing I would say is there, there's this perception that actually once you're sort of through that initial gate, getting that training contract and then ultimately getting that NQ role as a lawyer, that people don't fall by the wayside and move on to other things. I was lucky enough that I had the opportunity to speak to a number of people who'd done a training contract, qualified, and then actually gone off to be in-house or to do interesting things with the law, which wasn't actually being in private practice and actually sometimes not practicing law at all. So I actually, I went into law with the expectation that I would really enjoy doing it, but I I didn't see it as the only image of success with that particular qualification. I was fully committed to my training contract. It it wasn't how I defined myself. I I never sort of defined myself as being a lawyer. I I actually defined myself in a much broader way. I I think I'm unusual in that I I left quite so early in my career as an associate, but it wasn't such a surprise, if you see what I mean, Uh, to me anyway. I actually think that the skills you get from from learning the law is they're great uh, in in approaching all sorts of problems. And actually, what's been fantastic is I'm working in a tech company now, but I've been able to use a lot of that experience of being in the business of law, but also the way that I approach problems previously and use that in a tech setting. So I think there's the first thing I would say to that is I think a lot of people find those skills are really transferable. It's kind of interesting looking at, I definitely don't have these delusions of grandeur for myself, but it's interesting. You look at the heads of a lot of companies they're lawyers and actually they've spent a lot of their time doing commercial stuff. I'm kind of avoiding your question. Your question was sort of what triggered the move. I just saw a huge opportunity, really. I spent a lot of my time getting really good at deleting square brackets and actually doing a lot of the sort of manual process, which I imagine you're really familiar with Hobbs. And actually, it's a really good way to learn a lot of it. But actually, I, I thought, you know, what, this is not going to be the future because, quite frankly, I, I don't think clients are going to be paying for this where there is a decent technological solution within the sort of eight to ten years it would take if me if I was exceptional to become a partner and so I thought you know what actually either I can get really good at these skills and then subsequently find that you know by the time I'm a partner or going for partnership that I don't need those skills as much um, and that actually technology is doing that now or I could be a part of that change and actually accelerate that particular process and and, and so that people like you Hobbs are able to do your training contract and do a little bit less of that repetitive work and a little bit more of the stuff that you signed up for. So I guess it wasn't entirely altruistic. There was also an element of me thinking, you know what, I've got these skills. You know, this is an opportunity that I'm personally suited to as well outside of the law without kind of leaving the law, which I'm I'm frankly quite passionate about the practice of law itself. And uh, what was it then in particular about Avoca that really drew you in? I mean, I'd seen a lot of Taught, and also I'd seen the odd bit of technology relating to document or contract automation, more specifically in the context of legal practice. I was always struck by the fact that they look really powerful. And actually, a lot of this contract automation software has been around since the 1980s. And actually, I'll just take a minute to explain what contract automation or document automation is. It's basically taking a standard form document 
designating the parts of that document which should be custom every time a different version of it is drafted. Um, so, for example, in a contract, the party names is a really obvious example. That should always be different and that should always be filled in differently. Basically, that creates a questionnaire and then you fill out that questionnaire every time you want to draft a new document and that spits out your you know, complex document with all the bespoke information. So that's really useful in law. It speeds up the process of that first draft at the very least. So I'd seen those kinds of technology before, but what I hadn't seen was a piece of technology like that that was sort of basically consumer software. So you didn't need to have any knowledge of code and actually you could just pick it up and use it like you would pick up and use an iPhone. I know that my grandparents certainly don't have the same view of iPhones, <laughs> but if you, you know, if you have an element of technological ability, you can kind of pick it up and go with it. And I thought, actually, you know what, this is a killer feature because for sure you've got about three hours four hours work to do after this podcast recording hobbs but you know lawyers are extremely busy and the trade-off for you know taking some time to actually designate the parts of a document which are automated and if you make that any more difficult or convoluted than it absolutely needs to be lawyers are are just aren't going to have the time because they have to be very very careful with that time because there's a value and an opportunity cost associated to it so that for me was the key thing which drew me in. And actually, in addition, I think this is a prerequisite for any any jump that you make to a, a company outside of sort of the strictures and the kind of formality of training in a law firm, which is the team. Elliot and David are really actually quite similar to me in a sense in terms of what's important to them and kind of their history. So David was at Linklaters and Elliot was at Slaughter and May and they left at a similar point in their career, but albeit that was sort of five or six years ago now. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure we could probably talk about, you know, the, the future of legal tech and and automation uh, for, for an entire episode, but we, we probably ought to, to move on to our topic of today, which is networking. And um, I suppose networking is something that most people are aware of. I, mean, I can certainly remember countless times when I was told that networking was important, that I should be attending numerous networking events at university. I was wondering if you could perhaps clarify then what about networking is important, particularly um, whilst you were yourself a student, a trainee and, and an associate? I've always thought that I'm a fairly imaginative person, but you know, this applies to me just as much as it applies to anybody else. Your imagination and your conception of what is possible for you is always going to be limited by the experiences that you've had in the past. You know, you can't imagine something entirely divorced from an amalgamation of the experiences you've had in the past. You just, mm. you, it, it's actually impossible, you know, unless you believe the, in the idea of sort of completely novel thought. And so I know that sounds like a bit of an aside, but actually I think it's really important for networking. And I, and I think of as a junior lawyer or a trainee, or even a, a prospective trainee, I think the most important purpose that networking can serve for you is opening your horizons and you know one of the things I, I mean I grew up in Norfolk fairly rural and I, I definitely had some fantastic people who I met and, and was introduced to through my upbringing but actually until I got to uni and met a bunch of people who kind of told me about the whole world of commercial law I didn't even realize that was possible so I think the number one purpose it serves for juniors is showing you that there's all these different routes available and that actually you could you could do them and I think sort of slightly linked to that. I think this is why representation at senior levels is really important, uh, diverse representation, um, because I, I'm very fortunate. I'm self-aware enough to know that look, I'm, a, I'm a white, straight guy. So it was very easy for me to meet people who were in positions that was, were really amazing. Um, and so I could imagine myself being in those positions and I could imagine, speak to them about the path that they were they'd taken and just make it real so I I knew kind of what my steps one two three four and five to get there would be (laughs) albeit you know if it's someone in an amazing position they're not always easy steps so I think that's the number one thing and I think 
that's where you know people who aren't necessarily from as lucky an upbringing I was from yeah that's what they should be looking to get out of it try and find you know it doesn't even have to be official mentors it just let people regale you about how they got into the position they got about people love you know, just like I am now people love talking about themselves so I think using that to your benefit is the main thing I think also in the context of an actual law firm as well I do think it's important to network within a firm just to also make your interests and your personality and, and who you are known because doing good work definitely should get rewarded and does get rewarded um, to a degree. But I think people really care about passion and they really care about, on a certain level, getting you into positions that you want to be in. So, you know, people aren't going to help you out and, and do that sort of thing for you unless you tell them about it as well. So I think that that's the other element. I mean, Hobbs, what, what have you found networking has done for you? It's an important way to meet people in industries that otherwise you, you wouldn't really experience, you wouldn't really have any inside knowledge of, which I think is crucial, especially applying for training contracts, having that bit extra to say on on those numerous question fields that they ask you. And I, I think that unless you get out there, unless you, you know, attend events, even if they're, you know, virtual online events, you're not going to be getting that experience, you're not going to be getting that that knowledge without without building some sort of network. No, I, I completely agree. Um, I, d- I don't know whether I can be teaching you anything, really. It sounds, it sounds like you've got it, got it cracked to an extent <laughs> already. <laughs> well, it's certainly a different, different take on it. So you've then moved out of, of a, you know, that private practice law firm. Do you feel that uh, you know, networking and the role that it plays has changed for you, you know, now, now that you're in a more of a, a business setting? When you first start networking, and, and by the way, if it feels like you're networking, you're doing something wrong. If you feel like you're actually networking rather than just being friendly or having a conversation, then then yeah, you're definitely doing something wrong. The first thing I'd say is when you're at that junior level in your career, you know, it's far more of a charitable thing from the people you're speaking to. You know, they're being kind and sharing their experiences with you. And there's probably less that you can do to help them. Certainly when I was a trainee, if if someone had taken the time to go out for a coffee with me and talk to me about my qualification options or whatever, you know, I would definitely work that much harder to make sure that they got home and were able to do the stuff that they wanted to do. And any piece of work that I was doing, obviously you'd always try, but I would always reciprocate and and make sure that I basically prioritized them because they'd done something for me. So I think now that I'm in a position where I have a, a little bit more that I can offer people in terms of reciprocity, I think that's the big difference. The importance for me now is making sure that I'm not just a taker uh, and that when opportunities come up, you know, I, I give them to others. So Hobbs, you know, one of the things that's in the back of my mind is, you know, you've been kind enough to invite me on this podcast. Um, so there's certainly a mental IOU there. Um, and, I, and, and, and I think that's, it, you know, it's, it's not as transactional as that. But certainly that's how it's changed, actually. Now that I have something I can offer, I think it's important to be open with that kind of thing. So you mentioned there that if it, if it feels like networking, then it, it's probably not networking. How then do you, you suggest somebody goes out there to, you know, to develop that, that useful relationship? You know, I, I think actually going into a piece of networking, thinking that it's going to be useful to you, you know, might even be the wrong approach. I guess what I would say it, to get the most out of it is just be yourself. I think I'm a real fan of, you know, it's not always the easiest in the private practice world, especially where a lot of stuff's new and there is a hierarchy uh, to be yourself. But I'm, I'm a real fan of people just bringing themselves to work. And I think where you're kind of honest with people, you talk about your interests, you talk about sort of what matters to you, you're, you know, not inappropriately personal, but you approach stuff personally. I think that's the best way to do it. And actually 
I don't know who said it, but I'm sure some people have written books on it, but I, I've definitely read this somewhere. Basically, don't just, you know, listen to people or nod your head. You know, don't feign interest, actually have genuine interest in other people because everybody has something interesting about them. And I mean, what I mean, maybe we'll come to this kind of stuff later on in the, uh, in the chat. But one of the things I say to people, actually, even when they're writing an application is genuinely reflect yourself on what's interesting about you and what makes you different because I'm yet to meet someone who isn't completely boring and um, it just doesn't exist so that's sort of how you can appeal to others but also genuinely take an interest in other people's lives and also from a memory perspective you know half of networking and, and building a network is understanding and re- remembering the things which people care about if you have a genuine interest and you manage to get to an interesting kind of thing that someone has about them I find that that makes picking up a conversation later so much easier and sort of connection you've made so much more interesting. I, I, I think it what this was um, sort of Dale Carnegie, famous writer, and I, you may well have read his book, but he, he said that you know, people tend to have a bias where, and I'm pr- probably disastrously misquoting, but where you're speaking to someone and you don't say very much, but they say loads more um they have a bias uh, sort of cognitive thing where they will imagine that you spoke more and that you were more interesting than you actually were because they were speaking about themselves so people's own recollection of that kind of thing is very fallible so basically get people talking is what i would say is my main kind of tip on that i think there's some yeah some useful tips there but uh, how how do you think then lockdown and um, you know covid has has impacted that we're no longer attending events in person everything is done virtually suddenly linkedin is playing a bigger part i suppose in in networking how how do you transcribe those abilities those skills on onto this virtual platform i haven't nailed it yet is the truth. Like I really haven't nailed it. Um, it's very, very hard to do it at the moment. I mean, I had a call the other day and I, I won't say who the person was and that's not because they need to be ashamed of it at all, but it's just the reality that everybody's living where I was on a call actually having just a sort of networking coffee over Zoom, which by the way, you know, I don't think any of us are doing enough of. We have that sort of thing in our faces where we're like, the opportunity cost of me having this coffee is me sitting on the sofa and maybe having a Twix. Um, you know, the, 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 the opportunity cost is quite tempting. But actually, I was speaking to this person on the phone and then their baby started crying. And, you know, I said, why don't I go grab a coffee and you can say something to your baby and, you know, hopefully they'll go back to sleep. Anyway, then the baby then joined us for a bit of the call, which was nice. But then, you know, could tell the baby was a bit restless and then it needed to go down again. So I just said, look, let's catch up another time. Um, Absolutely no problem at all. And so I think there's two lessons there. The first is it's ludicrously hard for some people to even get their day-to-day jobs done at the moment and to (laughs) stay at the desk. And so I'm so glad I don't have children right now. And people who are dealing with that at the moment are amazing. But I think the other point is to that is actually be really understanding at the moment of people's sort of other commitments that they have. Still kind of try and book in those occasional coffees. But if it doesn't go wrong or if it has to get cancelled last minute, kind of get over it um, and then go again. So I think, uh, I guess, flexibility, but also kind of saying, actually, you know what, let, let's have a bit of a resolution like two or three times this week. I'm going to catch up with people and it's not going to be a pressing piece of work or something it's just going to be a casual catch-up and we'll see where it goes so i think that's a discipline point i think yeah so it's quite useful i suppose there's a lot of scope to, to develop the these virtual networking skills and then how, how it's carried out so I, it sounds like then that, that you're you're a strong believer that networking is very important when it comes to furthering your career 
Yeah, the proportion of sort of opportunities, I do a lot of sales and marketing and the proportion of opportunities that I have, which are referrals and people bringing me up and saying, hey, Giles, this is a great opportunity for you or you'd be perfect. You should meet this person. The, yeah, the proportion of critical business that we have in through that kind of thing, and not only my network, a number of people who work in Avoca is absolutely staggering. And I think the other point is, I think your reputation and how you behave when nobody's looking will catch up with you. And I'd like to think that my reputation is that I'm a decent person. I think you have to remember like before anybody hires you as a lawyer or buys your tech as a, a legal tech company, uh, they're going to ask what the team's like and they're going to contact people who are connected with you on LinkedIn and check that you're right and that you're you're legit uh, or sound for, the, for, for a lack of a better word. So I think that networking and having those sort of people in the communities that you find yourself in who are willing to say, yeah, actually, I've worked with Hobbs before and, you know, he's really efficient, but actually he's also, you know, he's all right to have a, a pint with half deal that's basically killed everyone for, for the past three weeks, you know, give Hobbs a leg up and give him the work because actually, you know, just a decent vote. I think that's the uh, the flip side of it as well. So there's definitely the positive argument for networking, and and there's also the kind of the the, the negative argument as well. So I suppose there there is that element of you know it's not what you know, but who you know. Then I think so. I, I think the caveat I'd say to that is it's it, <laughs> you could know lots of people, but also have a very bad reputation. Um, so if you are one of these people who, frankly, isn't genuinely interested in others and and doesn't reciprocate and Perhaps, you know, it's great when you start first working with them, but actually after a while, you know, their true colors shine through and they're not actually that nice a person. So that can actually kind of work. Again, that can sort of work against you. But I, I actually think that there's a number of people in the business and I know that business that you work in, Hobbs, this is very much the attitude. I think there's a recognition, and I certainly recognize this, that actually people don't, some people just don't start off with that network and they don't have that kind of, you know, it's, it's a multiplier effect. If you don't start out with a network from other people that you sort of inherit and you can't multiply outwards and, and make big network as fast. So I think there is a recognition and I recognize this, that there are some people who are, are more junior or perhaps just don't come from as lucky a background as me, don't know the people. There are some people out there who are sort of, I, I think of as sort of catalysts or accelerators who find a promising younger person in their career and then try and create a network for them. So, I mean, I'm involved in a few mentor schemes and official and unofficial, and I certainly do that. And I mean, one person I just want to shout out in the legal tech space who does that tirelessly is Catherine Bamford. She's been amazing. And actually one of the people in, in Avoca, Amy Conroy, has had her profile massively boosted. And she's, she's from Canada, so she doesn't have a UK network. And so I think that, yeah, there's, you know, I'd like to think that hopefully there are more and more people who are going to take that kind of approach and, and help others and invite them into their networks um but yeah certainly it helps at the very start i'm sure i'm sure of that there is a risk that putting you know too much emphasis on who you know it does have detrimental impacts on people from from different backgrounds yeah i think that's right and you know i, I think we're all really aware of that i think there's some areas where an element of acknowledging people's network makes sense you know like i would very much expect people to do their due diligence on me and the founders before they bought avoca i think that's fair enough 
But I think, so for example, in, in hiring and that kind of thing, that's that's an area where it's sort of totally inappropriate to do it on the basis of sort of who they know. You could definitely get a sense of their reputation in the market. And again, that's sort of an indirect way. But certainly, you know, you should be asking, you know, where you're hiring someone. If you want a reference, you should be asking them to supply their reference rather than going out to people you know exclusively. So I think it's definitely an issue that I, I don't have the solution to. But I think that the only the only practical way to combat that that I, I can be a part of by being generous with my own network and, and inviting people in. And, and also, frankly, where there are people I know who perhaps look sound or you know i don't want to put my foot in it but you know essentially are different and they've accelerated in their career and and overcome so many more hurdles than i'll ever have to overcome actually saying to them hey this is amazingly talented person who you've got to meet and it's not about the fact that you you share a certain you know characteristic which makes you a bit different but actually they're just they're just really talented that i think you might have something that you can offer them and some experiences you can offer so you've got to navigate that carefully you don't want to insult either person but actually you can be really helpful by pairing people up and generally people who kind of have climbed through against adversity haven't forgotten it um so that i mean i guess that's my practical advice and i mean Hobbs, do you have any thoughts on 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 sort of examples of that kind of thing that you've seen work really well there are numerous uh, schemes at a lot of firms and and actually training themselves do a, a diversity scholarship now which aims to to assist people in uh, from certain backgrounds in developing those networks in, in furthering their, their careers and I think it's a, a duty amongst a lot of senior members of staff to to facilitate that and to promote those schemes and work with them. The way I think of it is my dad's a farmer so he frankly has very few contacts in the world of law but you know he went to a good school so he knows he knew one or two people so even I acknowledge that even even that level of sort of connections was more than a lot of people have. I have spoken to Kevin about joining that particular scheme. Yeah, a great role that you can play is almost like the, the surrogate godfather or the surrogate uncle or whatever. And, and then you just open them up to your whole connection because that's, you know, that's what other people have. I, I actually totally agree with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Charles. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And you've given us some, some great tips there on networking, both once things return to normal and um, some, some good advice on, on how to cope in lockdown. But before, before we leave, there's a question I like to, to ask all of my guests, uh, which is, you know, if you were starting your, your legal career today, uh, what would you be looking for in, in the firms that you apply to? Hopefully this isn't too boring an answer, but I have a suspicion it might be a boring answer. Uh, but I think it is something that people don't pay enough attention to. And that is, you should really have a think about the practice areas that you find sort of interesting in a kind of divorced from the actual practice of law way. Like, do you find the idea of media transactions really interesting? Do you find the, the idea of cybersecurity practice really interesting? And I think you should come up with five or six of those areas where practice areas within law firms that you're really interested in. And then you should rule out every law firm initially anyway rule out every law firm which doesn't offer the opportunity to do the majority of those because i think what a lot of people don't realize is even at the firms where you get the most choice to choose different practice areas the odds of you getting four out of four of your key practice areas is is really low uh, and actually you need to hedge your bets so you know as many practice areas that you do on your training contract should be things that you visualize yourself doing for the entirety of your career so I think having a, that sort of volume of different areas where you would be happy and flexible to qualify, I think is one of the most important things. And I think, yeah, actually, one of the problems people have is is not 
cho- choosing a law firm um you know uh, in terms of having too few law firms to pick from it's having too many so i think actually being able to rule out a whole load of law firms on that basis of frankly something that's super personal is really helpful and actually it allows you to tailor all your applications and i wouldn't advocate copying and pasting them but actually you're going to have a consistent thread all the way through because it's going to be the same core practice areas which if you're like me invariably will be kind of interrelated in some way and mine were kind of connected by technology focus so that would be my sort of one key piece of advice do that exercise and then pick the firms that you're going to apply to or rule out brilliant well that is yeah very good advice and certainly an answer we haven't had before so so thank you for that well it's been a pleasure to have you on the show Giles pleasure is mine um thank you so much for having me Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Conversations in Law. If you'd like to support me and the show, please rate it five stars on the iTunes store and follow the show on your podcast app. If you would like more information about this episode and any other episodes, then take a look at the trainee blog on the AccuTrainee website. That's www.accutrainee.com. Thanks for listening.